When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How you doing? Oh, doing just fine. You know, it's November and what November means is that uh, football is being played with a lot on the line in every game. And what's going on with the Ducks is no exception. So, uh, That is also true for the volleyball team uh getting into the uh home stretch of conference play and uh and planning some pretty uh, significant opponents um although they had uh, uh the mountain uh schools again uh which are are, are not that strong this year so a, a bit of a palate cleanser uh you wrote up their matches against Colorado and Utah um Utah was the Utah was the first one right of the two yeah that was the the uh friday night match right um you know that one wound up as a sweep and so if you didn't watch it you might think the ducks cruised but utah actually gave them a a pretty good fight in each of the three sets well in the first two anyway they kind of they kind of ran out of gas in in the third set now you're right but they uh in the first two sets they uh they played beyond you know the uh 25 point match point yeah yeah forced oregon to go uh 26 points in the first set and 29 in the second and uh they were playing hard they utah's got a a good defense um and uh what was even more remarkable was that um with the Utah match, but, and certainly with the the Colorado match, uh, Oregon wasn't starting out, you know, slow and and slumpy and having to catch up. Uh, Utah just played well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really looks like they were taking it to him on the serves, you you know, like, you know, really hard service from Utah and uh, the, the ducks were struggling a bit to, uh, Yeah, for about a set and a half, the the ducks were struggling with the receive. Um, and if you watch the game, there was a a lot of uh, receive attempts that uh, just kind of bounce off the hand and uh, into the stance and that kind of thing. Um, but the um, uh, the ducks were prepared for um, the aggressive serving that Utah does. And uh, they did finally uh, adjust to it. And uh, how so? Well, um, with with Utah, they uh, they were by serving aggressively. It means that uh, Utah has picked a uh, a service target, uh, an area, or or a player. to serve a, a certain way too, and 
Um, and if the if the players uh, not playing their the receive game uh, properly or are having problems, then they're just going to um, go right at that again uh, until they um, until the uh, other side uh, makes adjustments and mixes it up. And uh, Oregon has a variety of, of rotations that they go through. So, you know, it can be kind of uh, uh, not terribly obvious what what Utah is doing. Um, but um, I, I think the, the, the Ducks in about the first set and a half were kind of playing um, uncharacteristic of – the way that that they've been uh, playing defense so far this season. I mean, they they've been really outstanding mm-hmm. uh, on on defense, and uh, so you know they they just had to uh, adjust for it. Um, plus, uh, Utah is tall, um, and their their record doesn't necessarily uh, show their defensive capability, but they're they're good at uh receive and they're good on the block um yeah when they can position themselves to it that the thing about oregon is that if you're going to key on um a particular player uh say uh kara mcgee uh getting kills down the center if you try to uh focus a defense on eliminating that well then, Hannah Pukas is gonna, you know, deliver to somebody else, and Carson Bacon can get you, Morgan Lewis can get you, Gabby Gonzalez can get you, and Mimi Coyer can get you. So, so the uh, that's really the trick for the opposition is uh, how do you do how do you defend uh, against uh, all these attacking weapons that Oregon has. So, they can't, you know, so Utah strategy is basically like we're going to try to get you to rotate to a suboptimal alignment with sort of a, a service attack that that tries to identify somebody who's maybe weaker on the receive. And so Oregon tries to rotate out the weaker receivers and then they think maybe Utah is, thinks maybe they've got a, a more favorable, you know, alignment. And then it turns out, oh, no you know Oregon's got so many hitters that it doesn't matter you know the 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 way that they're aligned even with a bunch you know five great receivers on the floor uh you know the, it's still you know a, a bunch of different uh hitters you know it's not just a bunch of you know defensive players it's also a bunch of hitters you know who who can return and score points anyway yep yeah in uh in simplistic form yeah i mean like there's that's the nice thing about having a deep team you know like that that's that that's a team that's constructed you know in such a way that it's not just like oh no they've got like one superstar or you know like one like sort of starting group of players who's trying to carry them and everybody else is sort of afterthoughts like nah it's a deep Mm -hmm. team so that like if they're trying to get you you know to rotate like okay fine we'll rotate like but whatever, there that's still a winning squad, you know. Yeah, yeah, and um, it helped. Uh, I think that um, you know the 
there's uh, several players on the team that the weekend before had, had legs wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate Thebalt has had her uh, her right thigh wrapped in that's, various forms. That's the freshman she, who's been playing a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she she's uh, fantastic on on defense and and, and on serving. So it's uh, it's easy to see why she's been getting some of these starts. Um, but the weekend before last, um, Hannah Pucas was wrapped up on her right leg and still wears a, uh, has still been wearing a sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, although it wasn't as uh, heavily wrapped as the weekend before. And the weekend before, uh, Carson Bacon had her left leg wrapped. But the um, um, bacon didn't have um, any kind of a wrap or sleeve uh, this last weekend against Colorado and Utah. Looked really good. Uh, Hannah Pucas, you'd you'd never know that that her leg was in a sleeve. I, I was watching for maybe little nuances and movement and and that kind of thing. Um, but she looked good. So the sleeve might be just a preventative measure. And the the fun thing about uh, Hannah is in both the the Utah and the Colorado game, um, instead of doing a kill that was just a a drop kill at uh, uh, one or two points in each game, I mean, she she just delivered a full-on kill over the net. It was kind of fun to watch. So then on to the Colorado match. Um, in this one, uh, it wasn't a sweep. Colorado got one of them. Uh, but Oregon wins in four. Uh, anything uh, about this one surprise you at all? Well, what surprised me was, it, I mean, it, it was a tale of two pairs of sets. Uh, the Colorado that was playing in sets one and four was very different from what was playing in sets two and three. Well, um, I mean, in one and yeah. four, they might not as well been playing. I mean, like, I mean, Oregon ran them off the floor in one and four. Yeah. And that's not really, uh, that's not really indicative of the kind of team that, that Colorado is. Coach Homer said after the game that uh, he fully expects Colorado to uh, be in the NCAA tournament uh, at some point. Uh, I just, I, I couldn't really identify uh, what in set one was not working for uh, Colorado because I mean, Oregon just totally had their way with them. (laughs) Only seven points in the entire set. And, yeah, twenty-five and to seven in the first set. And it was just crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, uh, Oregon went on a nine-zero run and a four-zero run, and yeah, it was just one of those things. Where Which honestly is that no the wrong. best first set that Oregon has played in Matthew Knight Arena all year? It, yeah, I mean, yeah. like it, Oregon's, like they, Oregon's had like a lot of problems with their first set at home uh, all year long, and. Uh, 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 you know, must have felt good to finally just win one clean. Yeah, and I, I can't. Uh, of course, this season's team is completely different, but I don't remember that kind of dominating first set last season either. 
Hmm. Yeah, but without a doubt, that those their most dominating set at uh, Matthew Knight, and and it's just a home problem. Like they don't, it's they don't have that like you know struggle in the first set problem on the road. It's it's very strange. Uh, I don't know. Ho- hopefully, they continue that. You know, maybe, maybe they continue that in the future. Yeah. Well, with the, with both matches. Um, as I said in my recaps, they 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 were showing better in in the first set and not having to you know, consistently come back from behind and mm-hmm. you, know, you know scratch back in, into the match. And they're a good team, and they they can't they can do that. Uh, you just can't do that uh, all the time and against good teams. And you know certainly when it comes to postseason play you're not going to get away with that so then they drop the the second set uh you know it was close but not that close you know 24 26 which means it did go over the line um how did that go that they they take that one to match did colorado take that one to match point and then back and then back to match point um Yes, I think that uh, if I recall, um, Oregon was uh, set for um, the set point on that, and or yeah, not match yeah. point. Obviously, it was oh, only match. No, set it was two. it was uh, Colorado was um, had set point uh, matched up and. And but then, Colorado led is my point. Like it, yeah, this wasn't they, they, it, they this led. wasn't Oregon got up to set point and then gave it away. Right, right. Th- this was Colorado led. It, they didn't quite yeah. lead enough to get it uh, a clean kill, but they you know they right because they they, they, they did or, control it. Or Oregon got a tie and then yeah Colorado rattled off some some points to take the set. I mean, but I still honestly, I still prefer that to like the the you know what kills you is when you have it and then you lose it, like you know. Yeah, and, and we've seen that on occasion with yeah this, the, with this Oregon team, especially in mi- middle sets. Yes, second or third set, it you had it. All you had to do was take care of a couple of set points, but no, here we are <laughs> looking at four yeah. sets now. No, I mean, like they, 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 I mean, they fairly gave away the Wazoo match that way, you yeah. know? Um, but that's not what happened here. They just like, you know, they, they killed them in set one and then they played a, a close, but they were, you know, whatever Colorado just came back, you know, in set two mm-hmm. and then set three, it's the opposite, right? Oregon is just controlling it the whole way. You know, Colorado doesn't get run off the floor. But, you know, Oregon just runs up to 25, the end, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Colorado had uh, played uh, fairly competitively in, in the middle of set three. Yeah. Uh, pulled into some uh, ties and I, I think had a momentary lead. But then, um, yeah, you get to the late mid set and Oregon just kind of distanced themselves and uh took the set then in set four i mean well the other thing about reading your 
the other thing well yeah right which as we already <laughs> mentioned right like colorado is yeah. just out, out of gas right like yeah. the but you know that's what i get from from reading your re review and, and also you know looking at the stats you know on the on the the advanced stat score that we have access to is just like the the number of players that oregon is able to rotate through like it just seems like oregon's a little fresher than colorado is right like, mm -hmm. like colorado probably spent itself on those middle two sets you know just keeping yeah. it close like keeping it from being a laugher and then like you know could you know because oregon runs like what would you say 12 deep you know in terms of competitive players yep yeah they, they yeah, about a dozen they, deep. yeah they have uh considerable uh depth on the squad um, and colorado i would it's looking like colorado's runs maybe seven deep of competitive players which means cool. like Oregon just sort of outlasted them you know like 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 it really just looks like Colorado gave it everything they had to win one set and make a second set you know competitive and then Oregon was just like oh time for another laugher for the fourth set and to end the match you know well, and both with, um, I mean, you mentioned the advanced stats that we look at. With both Utah and Colorado, they have um, a good handful of players that are not necessarily playing uh, every set. Mm -hmm. um, well, Oregon, uh, all the players that they have in the game are playing at some point in uh, all three or four sets. And um, so they, they have... A, a rotation going on where the where they aren't just uh plucking somebody uh off the bench for something uh, situational or uh, or because uh, another player needs rest they they're rotating uh all the players that, mm -hmm. that they have playing um unless um you know, unless there's uh, some sort of a an injury situation, which you know, knock on wood, ha hasn't happened yet. Mm. Um, but that's a um, to me that that speaks to having a, a value in the depth uh, of the Oregon players. It's not you're you're not bringing in somebody who's just playing a, a little bit of time in a set or two, and they're. They're all all the players that are playing are uh, part of given rotations and are playing minutes in all the sets. Well, sounds good. All right, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk some women's basketball. So uh, the women's basketball team started off uh, with a, a an exhibition match against Southern Utah, but then uh, I, th this is official, right? The the NAU and the Arkansas Pine Bluff games count against their record, right? Yes, yeah, it's the beginning of the out of conference season, um, and uh, I mean the scores don't look like official games. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, o Oregon crushed Northern Arizona, eighty-one to forty-eight. Um, the uh, the 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 awful news is that uh, uh, Peyton Scott, you know, uh, appears to be uh, 
to be out for quite some time. Um, you know, she only played a couple of minutes, uh, you know, in this game. Uh, they brought in uh, Kennedy Williams, you know, basically, you know, to take her minutes in a little uh, rotation with seeing Wagner. Um, you know, the game's kind of a laugher. There's not much to, to, to you know, take away from it. You know, the, the, the thing that I'm looking at much, most is uh, points in the paint, you know, because that's really the thing that I, I, I'm, you know, is really critical of this team, just not driving to the bucket. Um, you know, in, in, uh, last year and, uh, and Hey, the, you know, 38 points off the paint. I like that. Um, w- what'd you see out of this game? Well, I saw, uh, two things. One is that chance gray has, uh, found her three point groove. Um, she's not going through so far anyway, she's not going through these lulls. Uh, where she's missing uh, three or four or five or six three-pointers in a row, uh, she's hitting them with far more consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that uh, uh, Filipina Chai is a, a better player inside um, yeah. than she has been in previous seasons. I mean, she's doing some good driving to the basket, uh, doing some dribbling, uh, she lost the ball a, a couple of times, um, but uh, also was responsible for some assists. So, so she's uh, uh, she's looking to be uh, every bit the the dominant inside presence that she's always shown the potential to be. Um, what did you think about uh, about how Sophia Bell played? Um, that was, that was interesting. Um, as I said, in, in the first game, uh, she missed most of her, uh, field goal attempts. I think she went one for eight on field goal attempts. And she kept like Um, jacking up threes and missing them. That was the thing I was watching. I was like, all right, oh, she's missed again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, uh, yeah. Um, uh, I think it, they were, those were good looks. Um, uh, she was just missing them, but yeah, amazingly she made up for it at, at the line. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not pretend and yeah. The, the lumberjacks couldn't stop fouling her and she was like unconscious from the line and she wounds up as like the second or third. Yeah. Third leading yeah, scorer. The- Exactly. You know, on the night, because just off of the free throws. It was like hilarious. It was crazy. Um, this was the first look at um, some of the uh, other new players. Um, Sammy Wagner, for, for example, um, uh, coming off the bench. And, yeah, they're just kind of uh, gradually – um, getting her going in there, um, they're going to they're going to need her because Scott's yeah. out. And then um, seeing a so far a, a healthy uh, Kennedy Basham um, w- was good. Um, the the bigs uh, they know that they need to work on their free th- 
uh, the free throw shooting because they're going to get fouled a lot. And uh, I hope they continue to do that. Uh, Chai, over the course of the two games, um, did reasonably well. I thought she was uh, hitting the the free throw shots more consistently than last season. So, you know, well, she, yeah, I mean, she started. In she effort. started in the first game two for two for five, but then she's four for five in the second game. So, yeah, yeah, they they've been putting in the work and the effort shows. And uh, these ducks will will need those foul points that the bigs can provide. Um, of course, yeah, Grace Van Sluten is uh, is a very good uh, free throw shooter. So, and uh, she'll get a lot of fouls over the course of this season, also. So, I, you know, it looks like they're going with Kennedy Williams instead of uh, Sammy Wagner mm-hmm. um, to to replace um, uh, uh, to replace Peyton Scott. What do you think about that? Well, it's it probably makes sense. Um, Williams is more of a veteran presence, and uh, Sammy's a tall player, and she's she's six one, and yeah, and has some uh, uh, bulk to her. You know, she's not a small player. She's fast. She dribbles well, Um, but uh, I think as far as being the point guard presence uh i think we're looking at kind of a sharing of roles between williams and chance gray because chance yeah. gray chance gray is the best ball handler i think they were looking for peyton scott to uh, be able to cleanly take the ball down the floor but um that role has fallen to chance now yeah that's the thing that's you know that's the thing that's going to be sort of difficult for for duck fans to sort of wrap their head around because they're used to having like a you know the three point assassin role you know which like Chance Gray is definitely I mean she dropped twenty points you know in mm-hmm. this game you know uh, 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 like eighteen of which come off of of uh, uh, three pointers like I don't think she even attempts a two pointer in this game right against Arkansas Pine mm-hmm. Bluff right. Yeah, yeah, it's eight. It's eighteen points off of three pointers and and, and two free throws, um, and, and for that to be your you know your your point guard you know ball handler is like okay that that's a little weird you know especially because like you know the it's I mean it's weird for me and that like the thing I've been like pound, you know pounding the table about is like I want a point guard who like drives the bucket you know and mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons I was sort of like disappointed with Tahina Pow Pow. Um, uh, for years, you know, is yeah. like, you know, uh, I, I need you to go get those, you know, th- those hard buckets. Um, and like, okay, so if Chance Gray is going to be a perimeter player and Peyton Scott's out, uh, you know, and, and Kennedy Williams is going to be scoring two points a game, you know, on, on 16 minutes and she's splitting time with, you know, Sammy Wagner, who's scoring zero points a game. I I mean, it just seems like I'm not going to get my wish. Do you think I'm wrong about nope. that? Oh, no, not this season. That's, that's what's, uh, that, that's what's so 
cruel about the the loss of Peyton Scott is they, mean, they, yeah. they had her in mind to, to be that drive to the basket. And from what I understand, she was uh, probably the best defensive player on the team. And they, they were looking to get a, a solid 30 plus minutes per game out of her. And that's vaporized. So, yeah. So the, the ducks are in, kind of uh well not even kind of they're they're in a position that that was forced upon them they would rather not be in and uh, the only saving grace is that uh they had a a couple of um, easy opponents to begin to piece together what the new plan is going to be and now they have uh, a week to practice you know, fix what they can and get it together before heading to Arizona next week. I mean, they, they've got all the other pieces, right? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any other two, you know, one, two punch of bigs besides Philly Che and Grace Van Sluten, Mm -hmm. like, like in the league, like, yeah, you know, I I really love, you know, and then Gray, yeah, as both a ball handler and uh, as a three-point assassin, like I, you know, I love it. Uh, I, I, I dig what Sophia Bell is shaping up to be. Uh, it, like, you know, if, if you can get anything out of Kennedy Basham, you know, off the bench, like I don't know, like I, I think the bench players are, are fine. You know, like mm-hmm. you're getting a little bit out of Sierra Rhombus every game. You're probably getting a little out of you know Bella Hamill every game. Um, I, I kind of think they're carrying around some dead wood, frankly, on the rest of the, the, the bench players, but I guess we'll see. Um, it's just like, oh man, you're sort of, yeah, I think they're really going to miss Peyton Scott. Like, I, I really think they're building the team, you know, or uh, with her as like the, the straw that stirs the drink and then they're suddenly missing it. And I'm sort of like having now watched, you know, Kennedy Williams and, and Sammy Wagner in two games, like, I don't think I, first of all, y- you can't combine human beings to make a, th- a, 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 another human being, but even if you could, you couldn't combine Kennedy Williams in Sammy Wagner to make Peyton Scott. No. And, uh, unfortunately the, the ducks lose, uh, that piece that they needed the most because yeah. they, it, they were in in the same situation the past couple of seasons. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I wasn't uh, impressed with uh, Tahina Pau as uh, a point guard. There was you know stretches of games where she would just kind of vanish. Yeah, yeah, and you, uh, that's not what a point guard should be doing. So it, it's unfortunate, and that's going to be the the major challenge for Oregon right now is, yeah, uh, this is the hand that you got dealt with. So how are you going to play? I mean, the thing that's interesting is that despite that, like despite the fact that it is like, has that sort of like notable void in the middle. uh, And in that sense is like more maybe like incomplete than the team was last year. Like I feel like the pieces that sort of surround that donut like it looks like a donut right you know with a hole in the middle but like the the donut parts of the donut uh 
Like I feel like yeah. are are <laughs> way better. Pretty right? solid. Yeah. Like a healthy Grace Van Sluten, a Philly Che who knows how to handle the ball, a, a Chance Gray who's not a freshman and who can actually like hit the bucket mm-hmm. consistently, you know, a healthy Kennedy Basham, you know, some of these new players, like a reliable bench who can give you, you know, what, 15 points a game, you know, off of the bench. Like, I, I mean, I like this team, you know, better than – then last year, I like I like this this team's ability to score. We'll have to see how they play on defense against you know serious opponents. Yeah. Um, but like I like this team's ability to score, which was like that was my big criticism of the team last year. Is like where are my buckets? You know, put the ball in the basket, please. Um, uh, 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 yeah. It's just like how exactly are they going to hang together? Which is you know what the, you know the point guard is the is the glue position like it's maybe the most glue position of all in all of sports is your point guard um and like i don't know is this team good enough to do that without that yeah well they uh, like i said fortunately they have uh, a relatively easy schedule starting out um although uh, i don't know uh, how easy um, playing Santa Clara next weekend is going yeah, to be. We'll and then yeah. beginning of uh, December, um, they go to Texas and, and play Baylor. So uh, they're going to have to uh, to figure something out relatively quickly, you know, and take advantage of, of these uh, cupcakes that they're playing right now and work out whatever bugs they can. Well, I mean, that's why they schedule them, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and you're right. It's a long runway. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We will talk about the upcoming match against USC football. So my preview piece of USC football is going up on uh, Friday morning, about the same time as this podcast. Um, it's interesting. It actually combines quite a few of the insights and uh, uh, I, 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 above and beyond work that I had done for the 2022 team because I was very much prepared to have uh, uh, the article for the uh, conference championship game written and then Oregon kind of blew it against uh, the Beavs. Um, and so I had like, you know, a, a, a quite a deep statistical um you know, like including like all the down and distance situational graphs, you know, mapped out for USC in 2022. And then I was like, hey, I can use that stuff to make some comparisons because like basically the 2023 team, like it is the 2022 team in terms of its personnel, its, you know, its staff, its schemes, like all of it. They basically, you know, returned everybody except for, you know, they they lost, a, 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 you know, maybe their their most effective receiver. Um, they had mm-hmm. to overhaul the offensive line. And both of those are relevant, like actually highly relevant to the thesis all development. But I'll tell you that in a second. And then they they actually made some significant efforts to improve the defense. Um those efforts failed, but they made them. Um, unlike a number of teams that had bad defenses last year, um, and then didn't really do anything about it, or like all they did about it was they sort of got healthy 
which like doesn't really count as doing anything about it like mm-hmm. um uh or at least it's not anything like aggressive um the uh and, and so anyway the uh the 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 thesis of this article i i, I rarely sort of state theses it's just it, it was complex enough that i thought it was worth you know taking some time to to state it at the top of the article is that like look alex grinch the defensive coordinator got fired he deserved to get fired like a you know i i i've been writing that for some time uh like you know it's not just like he was the captain of a bad defense but like he got dealt a bum deal no no it's his fault like and not just in the way that like the buck stops here it's his fault but like i mean i i might like a like i don't know maybe 40 percent of the summer preview that i wrote of usc was tracing exactly the ways in which it's alex grinch's fault because it's not just it's not just his defensive philosophy, although it is, and it's not just his defensive structure, although it is, and it's not just the way that he recruits to that philosophy, which is a mistake. Um, but it's that he's the safeties coach and that the safeties are the problem with the defense. Like the, 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 the fact that the safeties are constantly out of position is the reason why they're constantly giving up explosive plays. Um, yeah. And this criticism of Grinch isn't s- something that you come up with uh, during this season or over yeah. the summer. I mean, it's something you've been harping on for two A seasons. A long now. time. I mean, yeah. well, longer than that. Like, yeah. I mean, when I wrote up oh, my yeah, Ohio up State yeah. preview, for 2021 i was writing about how this team you know there was stuff in it that was like the fingerprints of alex grinch who was there in 2018 are still on some of this roster like that's how much stink this dude creates um and uh so anyway uh so like i I wanted to say that up front because a lot of what I'm going to say might sound like if you're not paying close enough attention to exactly what I'm saying, it might sound like I'm trying to apologize for Alex French and nothing could be further from the truth. Like, nah, way, <laughs> not at all. Dude definitely deserved to be fired is the main like problem with this team is the defense is absolutely God awful. But here's the deal. The deal, the defense is absolutely God awful last year too. Um, in fact, in 2022, the defense was actually slightly worse than it is in 2023. They actually, those like, you know, personnel changes that they made, like, and a couple things, just sort of maybe just a little regression to the mean, um, like they're a little tiny, tiny, tiny little bit better on defense in 2023 than they were in 2022. 22 not enough to matter not at all like Mm -hmm. i'm not saying that to say that like oh look out for the defense or in any way shape or form just that to say for anybody out there and this was a popular media narrative and still is in a lot of corners is that like the the reason why the trojans are struggling in 2023 is that the defense has has just gotten so bad that it's not survivable anymore And that's sort of my thesis is that like, no, it's not the case that the defense went from bad to worse. And that's why they're struggling. They didn't. The defense didn't get any worse. 
the defense stayed the same. If anything, it got a little better. Um, again, not enough to matter. It's still terrible, but like it didn't yeah. get worse. Better that, bad is still bad. <laughs> right. Uh, it's just it, 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 the badness of the defense in 2022, like in 2023, it means that the offense has to be flipping perfect in order for them to win games. And I mean, literally in 2022, it was, it was the number one offense in F plus advanced statistics. And, and if you're looking for what's changed in 2023, such that they're struggling, what's changed is now their number five on offense. And they can't just like automatically, that's enough. That's enough. Um, that's how bad the defense is, is if going from number one to number five, it is now they're not just automatically outscoring opponents. Like now they're not winning 60 to 50. Now it's more like 52 to 50. In some games, it's only, you know, 48 to 50 and oops, we lost, you know, or, mm -hmm. or what was it last week? It was, it was 52 uh, to 52, 42. 42. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, that's what happens when you slip from number one to number five or on my tally sheet and I lay out, I'm not going to recite all the numbers on, on this podcast because I would be barfing a lot of numbers at you, but like read my article. I not, I not only go through you know, the F plus advanced statistics is one number. I will give you a lot of figures about the efficiency rates that break down run versus pass, the yards per play numbers, run versus pass, the explosiveness numbers. I will break down the down and distance situational uh, success rates and break. And not only that, I will break down, like I was saying on the top, how it differs from 2022 to 2023. I would break down the play selection difference and how they've gotten more predictable like the the big example that we were talking about with Alicia de Artola Castillo on the the other podcast that we always do you know to, to sort of like so I can get a better handle on the teams I know interview a knowledgeable um, person and there's nobody who's more knowledgeable and intellectually honest about USC than Alicia is um uh, is that, you know, dry, you know, pulling hair out is that second downs, um, for USC now look like third downs. It is true for USC. Like it is for a lot of teams that third downs are sort of predictable play calling in that if it's third and short, they run the ball. If it's third and medium or third and long, they pass the ball. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that that's true for a lot of teams. Um, and not automatically a sin. Um, However, what is a sin is for your second downs to look like third downs because they don't have to, right? Mm -hmm. On second down, if it's second and short, second and short's the, the deep shot down, right? Yep. Um, right. You know, you should be, but you shouldn't automatically take deep shots on second and, and short because then the defense will know it's coming. So in, uh, in 2022, USC mixed it up. It was actually it's 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 all like yellows across my board um, for all the different place selection. Yeah, that doesn't help you. Uh, the it's the 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 dump out from my database to the the spreadsheet that I use to help me visualize it is like all the different place selections. None of them are spikes for 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 
it's for for they call they call this player they don't call this play in different situations or field positions or scores or any sort it's like oh my god it's all it's all like almost perfectly random like wait good job lincoln riley in 2023 it's super predictable i like i can tell you exactly what they're running on second day like you, if you tell me what the down and distance the field position and the and uh what time it is during the game ooh i'll talk about that in one in a second that's another form of predictability <laughs> that i talk about in the article i will tell you exactly what the play call is and i will be right about 85% of the time and guess what defenses know it and there's a huge split between their first five games and their last five games. Oh, guess what, reader? I also put that in my article. Like I break down their performance in the first five games versus their their last five games um, to to give you a better idea of how they're performing now. You know, not just their last game. You know, uh, you know, to to get you know too focused. You know that, but I do break down first five, last five, right? Um, and uh, uh, so anyway, defenses know it. They, 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 they know that predictability. Um, here's, here's another fun stat that I told you I'd tell you about, uh, which is Alicia clued me into this. I, I actually wasn't ready to go on the podcast on this, but she told me to. And then I, I, I dove back into the, my charts and, and ran a, a, another correlation analysis overnight after we talked. And, and sure enough, she was dead right. Um, Lincoln Riley quits calling runs after the fourth drive. Uh, the, the first four possessions, this is consistent against the, across the 10 games they've played in the first four possessions. They call they they have a, about a 40, 60 run pass balance after the fourth possession is over. It switches to more like 30, 70. Um, it's it's uh it's like a 13 point swing like it's crazy so, so and there there's nothing uh score wise or yeah score doesn't or, yeah score and, down in yeah, distance it, yeah no it, i can it just those it factors. just goes away after the fourth drive yeah yeah that's crazy he still calls some of them but like yeah no i mean it's already an offense that's biased towards the pass but then it gets super biased towards the pass from drive five onward um now if it's the very end of the game and it's in garbage time and they're running to shut the game down that stops being the case but i exclude garbage time from this analysis so sure that's why you wouldn't see it if you're just looking at box scores but of course who just looks at box scores dummies that's who um the uh so anyway i uh, and man my mind my entire article is replete with stuff like this i'm only giving you about half of it um it, it's like all the different ways that this offense has become predictable um and i would expect uh oregon to know all of this stuff and more because they're better at this and professionals um like i've been looking at this for a week you know they've been looking at the i'm sure they've been you know they have an entire staff of people who've been looking at this stuff you know they they've they no doubt have a dedicated USC, you know, person on staff who like all they do is look at USC all day long, you know, for mm -hmm. a job. Whereas, you know, I have been doing it for maybe a cumulative eight hours this week. Like, uh, <laughs> and that's, this is what I came up with. Um, 
Uh, so anyway, the the uh, yeah, there's lots of stuff. Now, that's not to say that USC suddenly has a bad offense. They don't, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but like, there's lots of ways in which their offense is performing suboptimally, and their offense had to perform perfectly in order to compensate for their like terrible ass defense. Um, so that's that that's the thesis. Um, and, and their offense is performing suboptimally against defenses that are not as good as Oregon's, I guess that's the other thing. And against defenses that had less information than Oregon does because Oregon by definition, because this is the last, you know, the latest team that USC will play, Oregon will have had the most information of any team that USC will play. Of course, that mm-hmm. won't be true next week, but next week hasn't happened yet. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that's the nature of linear time. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the, 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 I won't recapitulate the entire article. You should read it. Uh, there are also lots of video clips. Caleb Williams, great quarterback, great quarterback. Um, strange thing. He is having some difficulties with the deep ball and passing from the pocket. It's weird. Um, it's a little bit on him. Uh, like he just isn't like setting up to make his throws properly. Like he, he doesn't have to really. Cause he's like, his arm talent is so incredible. He could be like, he could probably be standing on his head. Like, I'm not joking about this. I bet he could be doing a handstand and throw a beautiful 60 yard pass. Um, but, like I, there are some clips in my article where it's just like, Caleb, you had the time. Could, why don't you set up and throw this ball accurately? You know, and instead he's sort of whipping it like he's under pressure and he's got to get that ball off. Um, so, hmm. and, and so that's sort of, you know, part A to it. Part B is that like his receiver core is not, I mean, it's good, but it's not, it's like, it's like any other Pac-12 wide receiver core, frankly. You know, like Washington's got a better wide receiver core. Oregon's probably got a better wide receiver core. Um, like it's, you know, it's like Arizona level with Tedroic McMillan and Jacob Cowing and, you know, and those guys, you know, mm-hmm. we're just like, yeah, that's a good wide receiver core. You know, you go to war with that, but not like, I mean, it's not like Marquise Lee, you know, and, and, and Drake London and Jordan Addison and all these other like, uh, Adam Chimeo put it in a good way in a different podcast I was on with him where it's like, you know, USC like every year has like mistake erasers, <clears throat> you know, like, re- <laughs> like receivers who were so good that like they, they it just like it, it didn't matter that that your offense that the USC other players on the USC offense would make mistakes or the, the 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 OC would made a bad play call or the defense would just win like they they were so good that it erased all those mistakes and like USC just doesn't have one of those guys I like that term I like that a yeah, lot I love that as soon as he said it, I was just like oh I'm stealing that <laughs> I, like he like Adam probably didn't make that up probably somebody else did but it was the first time I That's heard it. it and I was just like oh yeah Anyway, USC just doesn't have one of those. They may in the future. They have a couple of um, uh, true freshmen that I, that I can see the promise in them, in Deuce Robinson and, and Zachariah Branch. Um, 
but it just like as is and in fact i have clips of those guys in my article where just like yeah you can see the promise in these guys you know look he beat the coverage look he you know he's playing really well it's just that like they're true freshmen and true freshman receivers make mistakes Mm -hmm. and so like you know down the line yeah those guys might be that but just you know right now um and then the offensive line it stinks you know there's a long discussion in my article of why it stinks they're transfer based transfer based o-lines don't work there's a line in my article about this which i think you liked um yes i did (laughs) um the and so uh and sort of as a result of that uh caleb williams is sort of scrambling all the time this is actually given that i've charted every team in the conference up till now with the exception of ucla i just haven't had any call to i will have to because oregon's going to the big 10 with ucla but like i can put that off till the off season i'll, I'll catch up then um so it may be that that ucla has given up more pressure than than usc it is but with that possible exception UCLA has a higher sack scramble throwaway per drop back rate than anybody else in the conference. And I know I've said that a lot lately because Oregon's played teams like Colorado and Cal um, and uh, in Washington state, you know, all of which, you know, (laughs) give up pressure. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, but the thing is with USC is that like Caleb Williams sort of like welcomes it, like really welcomes it. Um, and the, and the other crazy thing is like a couple of other quarterbacks that Oregon's played like Shitter Sanders and, and Kim Ward, um, he actually is, be- I mean, statistically, I'm, this isn't like a subjective impression. I'm, I chart it. Like I can run these numbers. They're not difficult to run. He's more accurate when he's broken the pocket this year than when he's standing hmm. in the pocket. And it's really freaky. I mean, that's the game. I mean, honestly, if there's a game, if there's a game to this game, it's that Caleb Williams makes a bunch of like off schedule plays. Like I'm skipping some stuff. There's other stuff to talk about, like how the RPO offense works. You can crack the RPO offense. Notre Dame did. Washington did. Um, There's some other stuff. The run game is actually super effective, but only one part of the run game. It's the gap scheme aspect to it. They can't zone block at all. And Lincoln Riley doesn't know how effective the run game is. It's like almost 10 points more effective percentage points, more efficient than the passing game is. But then, like I said, he abandons the run. He's like, he's totally irrational about it. And when I say irrational, I mean it in the literal sense of the word irrational. The ratio is does not match up um like there's other stuff to talk about but like the the bottom line of it is this like usc's not winning this game without without caleb williams making some spectacular heroics off schedule which he is fully capable of doing Mm -hmm. like it's terrifying like if you thought cam ward went off against oregon you know, on off schedule plays like Caleb Williams is the grown up version of that. He's the NFL version of that, Um, which is like, yeah, I mean, no joke. It doesn't be scared. Um, Now, USC is a worse defense than Washington State does um, or did at the time that Oregon played Wazoo. They sort of packed it in since then. But like Jake Dickard is a good defensive coordinator. USC doesn't have a defensive coordinator. Um, Yeah uh uh and um and uh you know uh uh and on top of that the other thing is 
just because Caleb Williams is capable of doing that doesn't mean he's going to do it. And there have been games in which when he does that, it backfires spectacularly. Notre Dame being the most obvious example in which he gets sacked six times. He throws three picks off of scrambles and nearly threw a fourth pick off of a scramble. Um, and just like the game, you know, was catastrophic. And that was probably, I mean, that, that was, that, that was for real, the best defense that they played. You know, I know Utah Ooh. looks like it on paper. I studied Utah. It's not like the, it's Notre Dame. Um, and I mean, they couldn't do anything against Notre Dame because I mean, Notre Dame is actually a talented defense with an actually talented defensive front and a secondary that can actually cover for two seconds in man coverage, which allowed them to actually blitz and just like overwhelm that line and crush. Because the thing is about, and this is this point is made in the article and documented with multiple film clips, is that you can't just get one guy through the offensive line. First of all, getting one guy through this offensive line is pretty easy. You have to simultaneously get two guys through the offensive line. You have to get the one guy that Williams sees, and then you have to get another guy through the back door that he's trying to spin through so that he spins out. And then it's like, hello. And then that's the dude who sacks him. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the meantime, you also have to be covering you know, for the, like the full two seconds, because he's going to keep his eyes downfield and find a throw. So you, you also can't have coverage breakdowns during that period of time. So it's like, good luck. You got to have all three of those things going on, which is why he's competitive in a lot of games. Um, even while his offensive line sucks. Uh, so like, that'll be the challenge for Oregon is like, you can't, you can't freak out. You know, you, you can't just have one thing. You got to have the coverage and you got to get through the line and you got to get another guy through the line and they can't get eyes like dinner plates and get out of their rush lanes. You know, you actually got to like stay on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, that's it, you know. Oh, and Lincoln Riley can't figure out that he's got a run game because like, actually, you know, that's the other thing that terrifies me. I sure hope he's not listening to this podcast. If they actually just stuck with their run game, and just ran the ball at Oregon's like like efficiency rush defense. Oregon's explosive rush defense is good. Oregon's efficiency rush defense is only about 58% successful. And the way that that matches up with uh, USC's uh, efficiency rush offense would mean that they could actually... USC could actually like take the air out of the ball and run the ball like a million times. Like that's actually probably their surest path to success. Now, like I would be on the floor dead if Lincoln Riley chose that strategy. Like, Mm -hmm. like I would just, I would be dead of shock if he chose that strategy. But if like, if a space alien came down and, and murdered him and took his skin off as a suit, like in men in black and wore and, and impersonated him, like and then ran like an actual statistical analysis of how he should most logically go about or she or whatever other alien genders might exist uh uh uh, uh of how uh uh you know the, the space alien ought to win this game that that's how it would go down um we're, we're gonna we're gonna run a run play yeah, yeah, they're gonna drink sugar water. We're gonna do another run play. Yeah, yeah, and then run the ball ninety times a game. Yeah, that's exactly how they ought to win. Um, 
they, I mean, they won't because Lincoln Riley won't. And I, you know, I documented that extensively. Um, and why would you figure that out now? But like, oh my God, I'm worried about it. Um, and then well, I don't know if, if Lincoln Riley has Madagascar, his king cockroach is coming out of his arms like the bug yeah. did in the morgue. Okay, then we we, we know. Why did I open the bug door? I'm talking <laughs> to bad water. Um. But yeah, like I mean, there are avenues for USC to win this game. Certainly, there are definitely avenues. Running the ball is one of them. Um, Caleb Williams going off uh, is one of them. That him discovering uh, the deep ball and, and sort of like correcting those problems is one of them. Like um, the uh, like you know um, uh, Oregon's offense kind of like uh, self destruct. Well, I mean, this one is always true. I, I shouldn't have to say this. Simply, it's college football. Oregon self destructing. You know, with, with a bunch of turnover, special teams, mistake. It's college football, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of stuff. Um, there are some teams which are so bad that it doesn't matter. You know, you can self-destruct and they'll still you'll still run them out of the building like Cal, for example, um, mm-hmm. where you can give them a bunch of turnovers to begin the game and you still win by 40 points like USC's not that team. You know, you, you, yeah. you can't do that. Um but, uh, you know, uh, but otherwise, like, look, the defense is just so bad and there's nothing even firing Alex Grinch. You know, you're not going to change any of the things that he did to that team in a week. So the defense will continue to be bad. So I fully expect Oregon to put up, you know, to 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 score something like six to seven touchdowns, um, which means that USC needs to score like eight touchdowns in order to win this game. And that's the reason why I've been, I spent this entire time talking about the d- different like suboptimal ways um, the, you know, that, that, that USC's offense is operating is that like, uh, I, you know, th- these are all the different reasons to expect that USC is going to have a hard time getting eight touchdowns, you know, like, you know, uh, against Oregon's defense, which I don't know, maybe Oregon's defense is not as good as it looks. It could be. It, it, it might not be, though. You know, they, they might be able to get like four or five touchdowns, but like eight. Uh, that's hard to believe. Yeah, it's a, a long call. All right, please read my article. I actually put quite a bit into it. It's almost like two years worth of work into it, as I said. Um, and it, there's a lot more depth than, than in this article and a lot more film clips, too. I I, I, I put in um, a couple more than my usual amount and and, uh, and, and went into some um, some some stuff that I feel is like educational about like how the RPO works um which and like how to identify it which is a uh, 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 fans often contact me uh after the game and are like i was sitting on the couch with my friends and family and a play came up and i jumped and pointed to the screen and says it's going to be this and then and then my family all thought that i was a genius uh and really i just read hithliday's article um because you know i I was shown in these film clips how to recognize what was going to happen and like i i did that I did that. I did the thing. So you'll be able to do the thing. You'll be like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day watching Jeopardy and you'll know the answers to all the questions or the questions to all the answers before Alex Trebek does. So yeah, do that. Yeah, Read, read the article and you'll understand why my favorite line is, unfortunately for the Trojans, math remains undefeated. 
That's very good. Uh, all right. Uh, any parting words of wisdom besides that one for us? That's that's pretty good. It's not my words. Um, but uh, maybe like a, uh, um, I forget Adam's saying already that uh, the eraser. Anyway, the mistake eraser. Mistake eraser. See, I, yeah, I have to repeat it a couple times and I, I won't forget it now. No, the uh, Go Ducks, um, USC traditionally does not do well at night in Austin Stadium. And I don't expect any true, different. Right? The Halloween Saturday. game that changed the entire conference and who ran it uh, was a night game in Austin Stadium in 2009. Um, yeah, what I was saying. Um, before the beginning of the season was I, I expected the Colorado game and the USC game to be the loudest games because, mm. you know, there, there's a, a lot of fans that are not happy with USC's actions or Colorado's actions that uh, uh, kind of uh, pushed another domino over in the domestic of the Pac-12. Yeah, war- warranted or not, the the fan sentiment is there. It's going to be loud. Well, it should be nice too. They're, they're calling for a little rain in the morning, but uh, by the evening it, um, it, it should be very dry. Uh, of course it never rains in Autzen stadium and it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>